I, I want to read just two quick testimonies before we get into the message. This is the third and last week of the series on fasting. Uh, as I've said, we've had a few people say they've never heard about fasting this way, which is, which is wonderful, but also sad. Yeah? Also sad. So I'm going to read one. It's, it's a long testimony, so if you could bear with me. I've changed it a little bit because it just took some of the personal details out. But this is, it, I'll just read it. Strategy and peace. Testimony. This, the current series on fasting is already having an impact on us. We have only been attending Free Life since January on a regular basis. And though I have been around church my whole life and have previously been in full-time ministry, I have never heard teaching like this on fasting. And he puts, unfortunately, I, I agree. At the end of the first message, my wife and I both felt the Spirit say that we are to commit to fasting. And when we talked later, he told us, you know, that we should fast for two primary things. Number one, for her brother. He is stuck. Who knows people that are stuck? It's a very vast description of that. It's just, they're stuck, okay? He's a homosexual man married to another man, lives in California. And his community are like-minded people mostly. And let me just say, I don't want to get into this subject, but... The church needs to understand what it is to love people, to love people, and, but at the same time reveal truth. You know, and we haven't done that well historically. We really, because most people's understanding of Christ will come from looking at you. You know, and it's to love them wherever and however they are. Love, genuine love. Because how many of you know in a marriage, you don't, it's not a great idea to say, you know how bad you are at this thing? That doesn't be like, yes, now I want to change. That's like, well, guess what? So, just a thought. My wife is very close to her brother. He has actually uh, has visited us even on the mission field when we were missionaries. These people were in full-time ministry before, like they said. And he has seen me share Christ and do prayer with Muslim leaders deep in the West Bank. My wife will be visiting her brother in March, and as it turns out, she will have a day and a half with him. And so we felt that the Lord asked us to fast and pray for this time in March, for breakthrough. So we have been fasting once a week on Tuesdays. Now, I love that. It's not, so we're going to fast 40 days, you know, no food, no water, and less air. You know, it's like, it's not like that. We've been fasting once a week on Tuesdays, and in the evening after work, sorry, we spend about an hour on studying the scriptures from the messages and then praying the things he asked us to pray and fast for. So it's, you know, they actually went home and, and like did it. You remember Donna Melinda's testimony about the amazing breakthrough in business, 12 years or whatever, millions of dollars of law, and all of that went away. They took the prophetic words that were given about it and prayed it every day. So these wonderful people have been spending one hour in prayer after work every Tuesday when they fast. You know, I just love that. So this past Tuesday, during the prayer time, she, my wife broke down in tears about the deep love she has for her brother and her desire to see him saved. And immediately, we felt the Lord, we asked the Lord, what should we pray for? What's the strategy? And the Lord revealed to us to, to ask me to send a messenger. And so we were like, Lord, is this like a person or a spiritual messenger? And obviously, they were deep in prayer, and we felt like the Lord said, spiritual. And that's a little spooky. I love the reality. They're like, that's a little spooky. Um, but then we immediately prayed that and asked the Lord to send a messenger. We will continue to pray and fast each week up to the trip and continue to ask more. But this was really bold, encouraging that the Lord gave us a beginning strategy, just like the teaching in the Scripture says it would. Isn't that wonderful? Just, oh, wow, this, oh, this actually works. 
We are almost giddy to see what happens. I love that. That's called faith. Mm. Secondly, the, the other thing we felt was to pray for my wife's health. She's had cancer three times. And most recently, uh, she had a routine checkup and it came back abnormal. So the doctor ordered, you have to excuse, I'm, I'm trying to adjust some things as I, as I read because uh, I don't want to reveal these people. So um, most recently, we had a routine checkup, came back abnormal, and the doctor ordered a revisit them f- for them to revisit to do a biopsy. This occurred about a week before the fasting series began. With this news, it stirred up all kinds of fear and spiritual stuff. I love the language here. It's so just normal, real life. Doesn't all the fancy, just spiritual stuff. I like that. After her last battle with cancer, she felt the Lord say, you're done with cancer. So she has been living in that freedom and believing in that and God told, and what God told her. But that being said, throughout her life, whenever anything comes back abnormal, it has always been bad news. So we fasted and prayed for this to be nothing. So they had an abnormal medical test. We asked the Lord to make it go away as if nothing, as if nothing abnormal has ever happen, had ever happened. And even in just praying for it, with the fasted adding to the mix, he gets it. Fasting is to empower prayer. Immediately began to give us peace, especially to my wife. We had to wait two weeks to find the results of the biopsy, and you guessed it, there is nothing there. Awesome. Awesome. Not even a hint of anything abnormal. The doctor said, well, maybe the abnormal checkup was due to minor infection that resolved itself of some kind of irritation. And she basically shrugged her shoulders and said, well, we'll look again in six months. And I actually love this next part. I'm not saying that she had cancer in this case and was healed. I love the, the honesty. We need real, honest testimonies. Not exaggerate, you know, God doesn't need help, friends. You know, and, uh, but with her history, this had great potential. But more importantly, committing the worry to prayer with fasting caused an abnormal, I love, he switched the word, smart, that's a smart man, an abnormal overwhelming peace to my wife. I could almost physically see it. Wonderful testimony. And there are many, we just can't share them all. Another, another one was we had, a, we had a prayer time on Tuesday, and a lady came uh, for, uh, to pray. She's recently joined the church. Uh, well, they recently come to the church, and I don't know how long, not very long at all. And uh, we were praying for many, many things. And someone prayed a prayer, and it gripped my heart, and it was about the schools. And as they were praying, the Lord just began to speak to me, saying, I want you to pray this, use this script, so forth and so on. So I came up afterwards, and I said, if we could do this together. And I declared something over the schools. There was a lady that's just kind of come in, and she works for the schools. And I said some interesting things. And she came to me afterwards, and she showed me a down, I think it was a download, I I can't remember, of all the stuff that's happening in Loudoun County schools. And she said to her husband, if I take this, because she's obviously concerned about it, because there's lots of stuff happening. She said, if I take this to the church when they're fasting, and I ask them, I know that they, they will actually pray for it. And she brought it with, uh, with her to ask us to pray. But she just never got the chance. And that's the one, of all the multiple things we could have, in a sense, prayed for publicly at the end, we prayed for that one. And she was, in, in, she couldn't believe it. She said, how did, did someone tell you? No. You know, because 
Yes, it's important to pray for the schools, but God will also really begin to show you the value and the, the, He sees what's in your heart. Yeah? It's a wonderful testimony. Wonderful testimony. All right. So, when you be fast, when you fast, who has found this, who, who's gone on this fast a little bit further or done a little bit more than they've done before? Wow. Who's found greater understanding with the fast? Okay. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. All right, so I'm going to give a brief summary for the last few weeks. For those who weren't there, it's going to be very quick, very brief. I encourage you to go listen to it because we want to get into something important today. When you fast, Jesus said, when you fast, not if. He said, when you pray too. He did say, if you sin. Just a thought. But outline is, what is fasting? How do we approach fasting? Why did they fast in the Bible? Why is fasting so powerful? And that's everything that we've covered. And from what position do we fast? And really, I'm talking about fasting as a, as a child of God in the New Testament, and we're going to cover that today, but, and then, but by prayer and fasting. So what is fasting? Fasting is to abstain from food for spiritual purposes. Fasting is the prayer intensifier. With Daniel, the angel said to Daniel when he came, I've come because of your words. Even though he was fasting, it was to pray. He didn't say, I've come because you're hungry. I've come because of your words. How do I approach fasting? We went over that. Why they fasted in the Bible? I'll just give you a quick list. These, are, these we've all covered in depth. To humble ourselves, and I, I think I, I probably don't have to say again, but I will. The, the phrase to afflict the soul, the phrase to humble yourself, and most of the time with mourning is used, they are in the Old Testament speaking about fasting, specifically fasting. You would know that if you're a Hebrew person, a Jewish person, when they said we humble ourselves, they were speaking about fasting. And, and we went into that, I think, two or three weeks ago. To humble ourselves, it's a great physical act to do that. It's a tool from the Lord. To return in our hearts to the Lord, Joel 2, rend your heart, not your garments. For, f- to fast for others, Isaiah 58, in times of mourning, for wisdom or revelation or understanding, like with Daniel, with God's intervention in times of crisis, like uh, Jehoshaphat and uh, Esther. We saw it up there. She had everyone fast for three days, all God's people in the land. For direction and strategy, like with Ezra and Nehemiah, for appointing of leaders and setting people into offices. We see apostles are set in in Acts 13 and local elders in the church are set in with prayer and fasting in Acts 14. Why is prayer, why is fasting so powerful? Because it deals directly, fasting intentionally impacts the areas of our lives that are pursued and used by the unseen realm as a means of influence over us. It's the appetites, the affections, and the mindsets of the soul. You make a decision, that's your soul, (laughs) working with the Lord, to intentionally impact those three areas. And what the unseen realm will do, and by that I mean the enemy, not the Lord, it will want to influence those areas, corrupt them, change them a bit, and then strengthen them. And that's what the Bible talks about, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Bible says those things are not of the Father, but of the world. And most people, when we say lust, they think sexual issues, sexual lust. It's far broader than that. So we gave a definition last week. Lust is a natural desire. It's a normal desire that we are actually given. But it's been corrupted. It's been perverted or it's been twisted, polluted in a sense. And then strengthened by the demonic realm, strengthened by the enemy. Hello? 
Yeah, it's a good thing to love your wife. It's a good thing. Sex God made, attraction God made, but it can become broken in many, many areas. And what is good, what is healthy, becomes twisted and strengthened by the enemy. And it begins in, the, in Philippians, it says, it says, it talks about the God of your belly, Philippians 3, the glory, your glory is your shame and who set their mind on earthly things. It's similar things. It's this kind of the same list that Paul into there. And what he says is it's a God. It, those things desire to actually rule over you. They desire to ruin your life. <laughs> they really do. They desire to take over. You know, it's like there's nothing wrong with having a glass of wine, having a beer. There's nothing wrong with that. But we all know what an alcoholic's life becomes. Is something natural that is twisted, corrupted, and then strengthened. And it's like we cannot break out of it. And we need the Lord. Amen? <clears throat> and obviously for the reasons of physical, just obedience. Obedience when we don't understand fully is extremely powerful. Extremely powerful. So I know that was a lot, but if you have been here, that made sense. If you haven't, we bless you. So, this thing in the New Testament. We're going to get into something today that I trust helps you and doesn't confuse you. It is really my desire uh, to do this, really it is, but it will. For some of you, you're already standing in this position. For others, I'm trusting for genuine heart change and breakthrough. What does it mean to fast in the New Testament? Because it does change. There is a difference. And uh, who's interested in just looking at this? Because you don't all, I guess, that's a horrible question. But... <laughs> I, I really encourage you to have some understanding of this in your heart because the motivations and the desires and the position you stand in, when that changes, clarity comes. Clarity really comes because fasting seems to make the voice of the Lord crisp and sharp and clear. Your spirit begins to soar as your soul, in a sense, gets saying, I'm in charge. Not, not the spirit of the Lord is in charge within you. So what had happened by the time Jesus has come? Jesus has come in his day. What had happened to fasting? And I'm going to read you something. It won't come up behind you. But he spoke a parable to them. And um, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, Luke 18, and despised others. So Jesus gives them an example of this. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Blah. You know, blah. extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and that's true. Pharisees would fast Monday and Friday, Monday and Thursday. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. But this tax collector standing afar off, he would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven but beat his chest saying, or beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I told you, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, there are many things that are spiritual disciplines or spiritual things. Or they bring spiritual breakthrough. And the chief mechanism that the Lord had given in the Old Testament to humble themselves before the Lord, which brings him near, which makes things clear, which brings breakthrough, is the chief mechanism for, hum for humility, which has incredible power in the spirit realm. They had flipped it upside down and were now using it to exalt themselves. 
They were taking fasting and using the chief mechanism to, to bring humility and saying, look how spiritual I am. So it had been flipped upside down by the time Jesus came, completely. So if you have a Bible, if you have a physical Bible, turn to Luke 5, please. We're going to read this text. Jesus, it's a well-known text. So now it comes and Jesus gets questioned about fasting. And I'm very interested to see, well, what does Jesus say about fasting? Yeah? Because we've seen what the Scriptures teach in general. But what did Jesus say? Because we haven't looked at that. Luke 5. Then they said to him, Luke 5, verse 33, excuse me, to 39. Then they said to him, why do the disciples of John fast often, that's John the Baptist, and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees? But yours eat and drink. And he said to them, there's so much revealed in this text, we cannot, I cannot get into all of it, but it's just a powerful text. He said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So that's today, yeah? So I have heard people say, you know, fasting was an Old Testament thing, we shouldn't fast today. It just shows they've probably never read the New Testament. They will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one, no one puts a piece from a new garment uh, and one of the, I think it's in Mark, it calls it unshrunk cloth, okay? Because they used to have a garment that was new. Think of like cheesecloth. That's, like, that's the best way I can explain. And when they washed it, it would then shrink. You know when you buy a shirt and it fits nice and you put it in the, in the dryer? And afterwards you're like, I mean, now, you know, it just doesn't fit the same, okay? <laughs> Similar concept. All right, he says, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. So a lot of people have taught us as like we got some extra cloth and we got this old garment that needs repair. That's not what Jesus said. He said they took a piece out of the new, which means you have a new garment, it's important, and an old garment. Okay, two garments. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved, and no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires the new, for he says, the old is better. Now, you've heard a lot of teaching on this. If you've been here, it's, I love this text. It, it is true of all movements when God really begins to move, or groups, or denominations, or whatever you want to stream. When they get stuck, in a sense, into something which is of God and with God and for God, but then he begins to go beyond, they can get trapped in that. But we all know what he's actually speaking about is to move from Judaism, in the old, like the old covenant, to the new covenant. And why does he say that? This is a wineskin, which Bev Deneen gave me. Thank you, Bev. And in this wineskin, what they would do is they would put, it wasn't full. Yeah, tell them it wasn't full. She says, there wasn't any wine in you. And uh, thanks, Bev. This is a good clarification. But they would put wine in there, and it would ferment in there. And so the, the gases, the fermentation process, would expand the wineskin and, in a sense, improve the wine. And so then it would be fully expanded. So if you put now new wine in there, once that's been used for a while, it has no room left to expand. But the new wine, the power and the potency of the new wine, which is actually talking about the move of God's Spirit, 
It's Acts chapter 2 when he came. The potency of that will expand and destroy the old structures because it's already been fully stretched. Does that make sense? So, he says you don't ruin a new garment. No one does this. You don't cut up a new garment to try to repair an old one. Talking about the old covenant and new covenant. You don't put new wine into an old wineskin. It's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. He's saying one has to shrink and one has to expand. Two examples. Now, when you talk about garments in the Old Testament, where they would have understood this, the garments were in a sense a form of identity. They had worshippers' garments, warriors' garments, priestly garments, kingly garments. Think of Joseph's robe. It's, I can see from a distance, oh, that's a warrior, that's a priest, that's a, it was, this is who I am. Okay? So that's what it has. And what Jesus is saying is there's something that I'm here to do that you cannot just add it onto what you already have. For, for them, it was Judaism. You cannot take what I'm here to do. I'm here to change everything. And you cannot just take what I'm here to do and add it onto your life now. It'll destroy both. It'll corrupt what I want to do. It'll change it, make it religious. It'll corrupt what I want to do. The robe of righteousness, Christianity, salvation. It'll corrupt the new garment and it'll destroy the old too. You cannot add them. They don't mix. Yeah. And it's got to do with your identity. For you, it's before you got saved. He's saying you cannot just add Jesus as a, and then it, it doesn't mix. You've been made new, the Bible says. Brand new. You cannot try to fix the old and make it better. No, that has been killed. That's been destroyed on the cross, the Bible says, and you get a brand new, you are brand new in Christ. And the two don't mix. They don't mix. And if we try purposefully to just, I'm gonna do everything I wanna do, and I'm not being legalistic here, I'm just, this is what he was saying. If I'm just gonna carry on, he's saying, okay, I'm still gonna love you, you're still gonna be saved, and that's, but the two don't mix, and you will find you live with some sense of brokenness. That's been destroyed. Are you with me? Wine. He says the new and living way of the spirit. That's looking at Acts chapter 2. Has to expand in its own way. You cannot add it to old structures, old systems. It won't work. That's what Zechariah was pointing to. Not by might. That's military might. Like in David's day, it was military might that got the kingdom of Israel to its height. So he said, it's not going to be like that. It's not by power, that word is actually strength. It's not by the strength of man's arm, what I can do, you know, I'm a self-made man, you know. The strength of man's arm, he said, it's not gonna be that which is gonna bring the kingdom of God onto earth, he said, but by the spirit, by the spirit of the living God. And he came, and we know what happened. We cannot pour old ways of thinking, old perspectives, and old motivations into something brand new. But now let's go back. What was the question about? Fasting. He's talking about fasting. So I know it was new covenant, old covenant, and it's everything I've just said, but he's saying even fasting will greatly change. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. So what were the old motivations, the old perspectives, the old ways of thinking with fasting? What did they fast for? We know we've looked at some of it, but they would fast to be righteous. 
They fasted towards righteousness. We know this in the Old Testament. They fasted on the Day of Atonement. We've covered this. They fasted on the Day of Atonement, which is when the blood of bulls and goats would be sacrificed and it would, in a sense, cleanse them from sin, atone for their sin for one year. And they would have to do it all the time. And Jesus said, uh, the Father said on that day, God said in Leviticus 23, He said, if you do not afflict your soul, if you do not fast on that day, you will be cut off. So it wasn't that, you know, if we don't fast, we're not saved. That's, that's crazy. Of course not. It, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. But they associated fasting towards righteousness. I need a fast in order to be, to have, be in right standing with God. But the Bible says that when you're saved, you have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Some people, when they fast, it's still in their mind to be good enough. You are righteous. That doesn't change. Don't fast for what you already have. They would fast to be qualified. They would fast, that's the gymnastics next door for those who are wondering. There's nothing in the wall. Um, they would fast to be qualified. Some people are like, is everyone else hearing it or is it just me? There's no noise. There's no noise. No. They, they, they would fast to be qualified. The Bible says in Colossians uh, 1.12, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in the light. So you're qualified. So don't fast to be qualified. They did, you don't have to. They fasted to find favor with God. What does the Bible say in Ephesians 2.8? By grace you are saved. Not of yourselves. What does grace mean? Unmerited favor. Favor that you receive based on the merit of another, which is Jesus. <laughs> so you, you have that. They fasted to move God's heart to action. But what if God's heart's already moved? Huh. Because he sent his son. So all the deep motivations for fasting in the Old Testament, the question comes, so why aren't they fasting? And he says, well, you can't, you, you can't really make the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with him. Well, well the, you, the bride fasts while the groom is with him. He says, the days will come and they will fast. Why? Jesus wasn't expecting his disciples to fulfill the law. Are you following me? They couldn't fulfill the law, but he was there to do that. He wasn't there to remove it, but to fulfill it. So what he's actually saying is it's, <clears throat> they can't do what I will send them to do. Let me read it. I think it may come up behind you. They can't do what I'm sending them to do if they are fasting with an old covenant mindset because the two don't mix. He's saying, I have, I'm going to give them authority. I'm going to give them a commission. I'm going to change things. I'm going to open the way of the Spirit into a new and living way. The Bible says, walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, speak by the Spirit. He says, I'm going to do this. But if while I'm with them, and there's a, the transition of the ages, the, the changing of the covenants, and while I'm here, they are with me, and I'm trying to teach them this, but they're fasting with an old covenant mindset. It will damage everything that I'm going to tell them to do. And that issue is still present in the church today. He was bringing a new covenant to mankind. Does it still help? Is it still God's vehicle? Does it still help with humbling ourselves? Yes. I'm not undoing anything I've said. I'm just, the messages that I've been, they're true, but I'm giving you a, a better lens or a new lens. Does it still help with humbling yourselves? Yes. Does it still help with grief? 
with mourning, with loss, yes. Should we still fast in crisis for strategy, for absolutely, but from a new place, from a very new place. The greatest blessing, well, one of the great blessings of fasting is actually that we become free from the old self. And by that I mean, uh, I don't know if, I hope you understand that. When you were born on the earth, when you get saved, the Bible says you become a new person, a new creation, and you have an old man. The Bible speaks of the old man and the new man. Fasting makes us free from that old person. Because it, the Bible calls it your flesh, calls it the old nature, it calls it the old man, you know? And you know that you, the flesh has a voice. You know that? The flesh actually has a voice. Even though it was crucified in Christ, even though it was gone, even though it was cut off, Colossians says, even though it's, even though it's gone, yet it has a voice. It continues to try to raise up. You know how you know this? Who's ever looked in the mirror or had someone tell you or pray for you, this is what the Lord loves you. He, you know, he has good things. Or and you look in the mirror, I'm righteous. God. And at the very next second, that's not true. Yes, people, that could be from the enemy. It could also be from, from inside. Now, fasting takes the voice of the flesh, the, the analytical voice. I need to understand everything. The accuser, accuser voice. It takes that voice and crushes it. And you begin to see differently. And I'm talking about the eyes of your heart, the eyes of the spirit, not looking into the supernatural realm. You begin to look at situations differently, people differently. You begin to hear the Lord in all the various ways that he speaks, dreams or visions or through scripture, through revelation, through prophecy, whatever it is, he, it becomes crisp and clear. Fasting greatly assists a person to walk in the spirit, which is the new and living way. Because it crushes, it intentionally focuses on and crushes the, the, the things that the enemy wants to empower and corrupt crushes them in a sense, brings them into submission, even in your own life. And we don't even need to understand all of that. Some people fast, they don't understand that, but yet it still happens. Because they're obeying when they don't fully understand. Because God is good. Okay, so fastly is partly about seeing and positioning yourself to see and to hear clearly. When Jesus fasted, I, I won't go into this long. When Jesus fasted, he fasted 40 days. You know, there's a few people in the Bible who did that. And I actually have a chart, I have it with me, but I don't have the time, of a lot of the things that happen in the natural and the things that happen in the spirit on extended fasts. And if you want it, I'll, I'll find a way to email the office, we'll find a way to get it to you. But there's a lot of things, you get physically hungry. You get spiritually hungry, hunger for God. Physically if you, when you're actually on a water fast, the elements have great impact on you. You get very cold very quickly. A lot of people may not know that when you're fasting water fast and you're in the sun, you get sunburned it's like almost immediately. Your sunburn is very quick. You get sensitive to the elements. You get sensitive to the spirit realm, to the spiritual elements. There are, there are very many things that are exactly the same in the physical and in the spiritual. Old issues spring up as the blood. When you, when you fast, water fast, extended time, it's like zzz, the body just like cleans everything. The organs rest. It's actually very healthy, unless you obviously have medical issues. Seek advice for that. Don't be unwise. But it just seeks everything else, everything out, and just eats it up. We've, they've seen tumors disappear, all sorts of things. 
but extended water fasts. And so it just wants to heal and take care of anything that's, in a sense, not of you, not from you. And it's very interesting because the blood will actually go to all the parts of the body and begin to cleanse it. So what you feel is pain. Like you had an issue when you were a child, you broke your leg or twisted something, and all of a sudden it starts to hurt. And you remember, this was hurting like when I, who knows, who's experienced this? Yeah, a few people. That's, it's like that. When you fast, sometimes old issues come up in your heart. You're like, well, I thought I dealt with this. I'm such a terrible faster. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not like that. Old issues come up so that they can be, it's like the ankle's healed, but it's, you know, sometimes you're like, well, that's the, my bad ankle, which don't say, it's not smart to say that. But, you know, you know that just normal life. And all of a sudden, it's, it's now exactly the same. The old issues come up because it comes up to, the, to, to deal with it to the point where it's no longer even a weak point. There's many things that happen in the natural and that happen in the spirit, exactly the same. But when Jesus fasted, just had to chase that rabbit hole, shoot that rabbit and come back. It says, when Jesus fasted, Matthew 3 says, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. You know, the Spirit of God, as soon as he had heard what? Identity, acceptance, approval, I love you, you're my son, I'm pleased with you. Says the market says the Spirit drove him into the wilderness to fast. So he fasted from a New Testament place as a son. So when the question comes, why don't you disciples of John and the Pharisees fast often, but you, you know, yours don't, they just eat and drink and... And we know he said, well, while I'm here, what he's saying is they will fast, but it will not look like what it is now. It will not look like it used to. They will fast under a new covenant and they will fast in a new way. I have come to make them righteous. I have come to open the way before them. I have come to bring tremendous change. And they will fast in that way. They will, be, they will become my brothers. That's biblical. They will become fellow or co-laborers. They will become joint heirs. They will become loved by my Father to the same degree that I'm loved by my Father, John 17. So all of this is changing. So their fasting in the New Testament is a tool to greatly assist you to become who you actually are. To become who God has made you. Your design, your purpose greatly assist you for that. So, that's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I often imagine the pain that Paul must have gone through. I really do. Every year on the Day of Atonement, I mean, he had understanding of righteousness and grace, and yet the Bible says he was in fastings often. Imagine when he stood on the temple, on the Temple Mount every year, in the Day of Atonement, and he's in Christ, and he watches them killing the animals, shedding the blood for one year, fasting on the Day of Atonement, and he's pleading with them, my friends, my family, you don't have to do that. Jesus' blood has taken care of it. You're fasting for the wrong purpose in the wrong heart. Please, imagine the frustration. Now, we're going to look at a scripture, and it's... Uh, 
It's a good scripture, but it's brought some misunderstanding over the years. And it's called, uh, But by Prayer and Fasting. Matthew 17. I'm going to actually, I think I got it here. In Matthew 17, verse 14 to 21, we see a story. And it starts in verse 14. When they had come to the multitude, they had just gone on to the Mount of Transfiguration. So they're coming down the mountain. And I can just imagine the disciples, because after this story, they break into an argument, who's the greatest? You know? And it's imagine like, well, he chose us to go up, not you guys. You know? It's like today, spiritual pride. I had an experience with Jesus. What did you have? You know? Is just silliness, really. But Matthew 17, 14. And when they'd come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Now, if I could make a little quick parallel chart for you in your mind. Mark 9 doesn't call it an epileptic. Mark 9 calls it a deaf and dumb spirit. In Mark 9, it doesn't say he falls into the fire and into the water. It says the spirit throws him often into the fire and to the water, and he would become rigid. In Mark 9, it doesn't say they couldn't cast it out. In Mark 9, I mean, they couldn't cure him. In Mark 9, it says your disciples couldn't cast it out. What is the scripture giving us? It's an amazing text. It's giving us, this is what's happening in the physical realm. This is what's happening in the spiritual realm. It's a direct comparison. Huh. And so some people with a boxed mind, which I understand, say, you know, you have to be so spiritual that you have to be able to go up to a person and know, is this a sickness or is this a sickness that's from the demonic? And if you don't deal with it the right way, you know. You know what I just think? I just think God's good. And I just think some of you will be wired into the spirit part of it. You'll see the spirit issue. You see the demonic issue. You see that. Some of you will be wired into the healing. And both will work. <laughs> you know, Jesus said, which is better? Should I say, take up your mat or your sins are forgiven? Just a thought. Just a thought. Scripture gives great insight when Scripture translates Scripture. Verse 17, then Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? That's not pleasant. Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the man, or out of him, the boy, and the child was cured from that hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Mark 9 says this, and when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So we're going to quickly, we have some little bit minutes left. We can examine this verse, and I'm just so glad that you're all excited to do, to do it. What was the issue? F unbelief, correct. He says, faithless and perverse. Now, this is going to sound harsh for a moment, but it becomes encouraging, so stick with us. Faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Your, uh, unbelief. 
You know, firstly, who's he talking to? Disciples. He's not talking to the man. He's not talking to the boy. How do I know that? Because they were never given authority over that issue. Matthew 10 says, Jesus called his disciples to him and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So he'd given them authority. Secondly, what does he say? What are the words? Faithless. That actually means unfaithfulness. It does mean unbelief, but it also means unfaithfulness, meaning we just give up too quickly. Also means in want of faith, meaning there's no conviction about what's happening in the unseen realm. And perverted, it comes back to the lust issue. One of the translations actually hints at the word distracted. We become distracted with life. Something has become corrupt and twisted that was actually a normal natural desire. So he's saying these two issues are happening. So they come to a situation, imagine this, that they cannot move. That doesn't seem to happen. Now, we sometimes think of the disciples as, you know, they're like, you know, didn't know what they were doing. Incorrect. These guys are the highest trained spiritual ministers on the planet at the time. It used to be one prophet, one, you know, in the Old Testament. You have 12 or more, because he had many disciples, 120, but we hear a lot of the 12. People that have been trained and skilled in deliverance and healing. When they came back and reported about their travel, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Every day they said, even the demons submit to us. There was, they were highly skilled ministers. They were your, whoever your hero is. You know, God's generals. They were your John G. They were highly skilled. Now they come to this issue, nothing happens. It's very interesting. And Jesus calls them faithless and perverse. When they couldn't cure him, it sounds harsh. But I got a question. Was it God's will to heal that boy? Yes. How do we know? Jesus wouldn't have healed him if it wasn't. <laughs> so, Jesus gave them the authority. What happened? And it'll come up behind you. What they saw in front of them overwhelmed what he had said. It happens to all of us all the time. Well, the Bible says you walk by faith, not by sight. You walk by the conviction of what's not seen. What they saw in front of them overwhelmed what he had said to them. It's not a heavy. It, it's, it happens to all of us. Another way you could put it is what they saw caused them to doubt the authority or what he had given to them. It's something that comes up in front of you and it causes something inside of you that is overwhelming more than what you believe about the Lord in here. Yeah? Now, I could stop there and say, amen. You all go, I'm like, gee, what? You know? But the great thing that Jesus gives us something here. He says, however, this, this kind doesn't come out by prayer and fasting. And he's told them, you won't fast while I'm here. Huh. But he didn't start a prayer meeting and he didn't start fasting. He just dealt with it. There was a lifestyle of fasting for him. So what he's saying is, when you come to an issue that overwhelms what he's said because of what you see, yeah, you fast. And I hope you can hear it like that. It's a great key 
He's like, yeah, yeah, when that happens, just fast. It'll really help you. Because it happens to us all. It happens to me all the time. You know, it's not like we, well, I never have that problem. No, we all do. And he's like, yeah, when that happens, when you see something that causes you to doubt what you know, what's in your heart, what he's said to you personally or in the commission, when you see something that overwhelms what you know to be true, and it just, it just robs from you, just like, whoa, who knows that? It just seems like it strips all the authority out of you. Yeah? Oh, yeah, fast. Charles Spurgeon said this, he that would overcome the devil in, any certain, in, in certain instances must first overcome heaven. And he's talking about the demonic realm. By prayer and conquer himself by self-denial. Huh. Problem is many people, they're like, try. I'm going to pray for this person. Best prayer. And they're like, well, don't work. So off they go. They're like, it's fine. And they're okay with it. They're like, it's fine. I'm just growing. It'll take. What happens if a person said, okay. Let's do fasting now. Or let's this, or let's... And it's, it's like, let's, let's seem to do what the Bible says. It's not some perfect remedy, I get that. It's not a method. It's just what the Scripture says. See, it's what Galatians 5 says, and then we'll close. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It kind of sums up the whole thing. Because fasting is a great tool to assist you to become who Jesus said you are and to walk in the Spirit because it puts down the things of the flesh. So he says, I say then walk in the Spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the lust of the, the flesh, lust against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. They are contrary so that you do not do the things you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. He even goes back to the law issue, what Jesus said to the disciples. I mean, that text is like, sums it all up. Paul understood all of that. You know, in the Old Testament, when it said, if you do not afflict your souls on the day of atonement, you will be cut off from your people. But also it says, the next sentence, but if you work, you know, works, if you work on that day, if you don't rest, if you work, I will destroy you. That's what the Lord said. Even in the Old Testament, he's pointing to something in the New Testament saying there will be a dynamic in the New Testament that is hard for some people to understand. And what is it? You cannot earn salvation. If you work, I will destroy you. You cannot earn. It's by grace. It's favor of God. You cannot earn it. And yet, even though you cannot earn it, even though it's not up to you, even though you cannot be religious and legalist, even though all those things, and you can rest in what Christ has done. Even though you will still come up to some issues where fasting is required, so he had them do both. It's pointing to something. There's gonna be a dynamic, because fasting, you know, fasting sucks. <laughs> you know, it's not fun. It's not like, yeah, I, it's just not, maybe that's just me. But, but I just, I hope that encourages you, you today don't stand to earn. Don't stand to become who you are. You already, you know, don't stand to, to earn what God's already given you. Righteous, qualified, as a son. Don't fast for that reason. You already are those things. Yet, it will bring breakthrough. It's, it's like, I don't always understand what, but it will. It absolutely will.
It absolutely will. It teaches us to walk in the Spirit. So, uh, we're going to be, just to give you the announcement, I'll throw up two uh, slides behind me. We're going to be having corporate prayer, as same as last week, every morning this week from 6.30 to 7.30. I know most people, in a sense, cannot make it there and get the mute. There's just going to be someone here, a leader here, uh, who will be here to open the doors, and it's not going to be something that's led from the front. We had a few people uh, every morning last week. If you want to come and pray, it's going to be open for you here Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, from 6.30 to 7.30. But then, on Thursday night, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, next week, this week, sorry, you can read, you can adjust for my, Thursday to Saturday, we're going to be meeting every night here. Thursday and Friday is going to be at 7, I think, yes, and Saturday at 5.30, which I'll explain. I want to encourage you as a church, if you've been fasting once a week or if you haven't yet had the time, no problem. The wonderful thing is this, is when David won the victory in the Old Testament, half the soldiers couldn't do it. They just didn't have it in him. But when they won the victory, he said, the spoils belong to us all because we're a family. Amen. So if you can't fast and you're feeling like, oh, about that, no, it's fine. It really is. It really is because a family is a family. Now, let me just say this. I would encourage you to come out and pray on those nights, fasting or not. That's, thurs that's Thursday night, 7. Friday night, 7. The one night we're going to have worship and we're going to pray. The other night we're just going to pray. I just encourage you to come. If you want to, when should I fast? Those are some good days to fast. Then on the Saturday, we're going to break the fast together. That's a good day. That's a very good day. Saturday, we're going to break the fast. We are actually going to cater. We're going to have meat, and we're going to have things that are catered here. So, but please bring a dessert and a side. The potluck portion is a dessert and a side. And first, we're going to pray. It's always an interesting meeting when people haven't eaten for three days or five days or two days, and the food's there, and they're praying, you know. And it's like, Lord, I love you. When's he closing? Lord, I love you. It's, you know, it's a, good, it's a good meeting. So we're going to do that on Saturday. And that's going to be at 5.30 here. We're going to have a short prayer time, short worship time. And then we're going to break the fast together. Please hear what I'm about to say. If you've been fasting water, and if you've either never done, if you're not an experienced fast, if you are, you know all these things. Even two days, three days, and then you eat. Please be careful what you eat. I, ew, I've made horrible mistakes. <laughs> Sir, don't eat meat straight away. Like eat fiber, like a, literally like a lettuce leaf. I'm serious. Eat something that is fibrous. That, don't put stuff in you. Don't put bread in you. Don't put meat in you. It'll become like a rock inside of you. I'm just being real. If you fasted for a long time with water, please be wise. Find someone that has done it before. How should I eat to start eating? I once fasted 10 days water, and the first thing I ate was bacon. It was a very bad idea. And I had to leave shortly after that meeting. So I just encourage you, don't do that. You can really wreck your body like that. I trust you're encouraged. I really do trust you are encouraged over the last, these last three weeks. And I, you know, it's something that I pray every time I do this. I say, Lord, let some, just even some, pick it up as a lifestyle of fasting. One a week, one day a month, whatever. 
because it has such, it, it keeps things crisp, clear. Can we stand?